This podcast is sponsored by Drax. As the UK's largest renewable electricity generator, Drax plays a critical role in UK energy security. They have committed to invest £2.5 billion in new green energy infrastructure, creating jobs and growth across the country. Find out more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, a spectator's daily and sometimes, perhaps today, more than daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Forsyth. And we have just had a U-turn. The government has announced that it no longer plans to abolish the 45p rate of tax for the highest earners. Explaining the decision this morning on the Today programme, here's what Kwasi Kwarteng had to say. I felt that the 45p rate was a huge distraction on what was... A- a very strong set of measures. The energy intervention, for example, has essentially meant that the average household bill uh, for energy will be £2,500 as opposed to £6,500, as some analysts were saying. And that was a timely and well-appreciated intervention. Now, Fraser, we began to get a hint of this last night. The Sun journalist Harry Cole tweeted that this was coming and it seems as though Liz Truss met with her Chancellor after concluding yesterday afternoon that the position was not going to go not going to hold the pair then agreed that it had to go how humiliating is this for this trust it's incredibly humiliating for her all the more because this is how she chose to start her interview with laura kunzberg on the bbc yesterday are you absolutely committed to abolishing the 45 pence tax rate for the wealthiest people in the country yes so his straight answer, now she will have known, of course, that she'd be asked that all day long, are you going to change your mind? And she was saying absolutely not. There was quite a strong briefing going out that she is not the sort of politician who caves under pressure. The Daily Telegraph, which I'm very proud to write for, it in a leading column today praising her for not changing her mind, and yet that's exactly what she's done. So this is the damage that she has shown that under pressure she will cave. Once you've established that principle, you can expect a lot more pressure. Uh, we had some um, choreography yesterday. We had, um, I think, 12 MPs, was it James, in the end, saying that they would, um, more, um, saying that they were happy to rebel on this. You had Jake Berry, the Tory party chairman, threatening to withdraw the whip from those who rebelled in the 45p rate, but it wasn't working. She was visibly losing control of her party only a few weeks into the job. Now, the other really worrying point here was it also emerged yesterday that Liz Truss hadn't consulted her cabinet over the 45p rate. So if you're going to do something this big, you'd expect to take a bit more advice than, than I don't know, perhaps three, four advisors. Um, because this was, as Quasi Quarting has now admitted, it's done what, to be honest, anybody in the cabinet could have told him it would have done. And that was it would occupy more political space than the um, the £60 billion that he's just spent subsidising everybody's gas bills. Now, the 45p rate costs only £2 billion. It's absolutely tiny. The real cost is probably negative. But so it's, economically, it was tiny. Politically, it had become huge. And that was what it, they seemed not to be able to grasp before they did it. So the question here, the big problem, is about the wider judgment of the Prime Minister and your Chancellor. James... One of the complaints you've heard from supporters of Liz Truss, even members of her own team, is the fact that, as Fraser touches on, no one has really consulted when it came to this measure. It was kept in a really tight circle, and then lots of people were taken by surprise. And had actually, you mentioned to a few more people, they might have said, oh, it turns out it might not cost much, but it's going to distract from everything, and Labour can use it against you. So 
do you think Liz Truss being at conference and actually being out of number 10 has meant she had to confront the political reality? What do you think the moment was? So the first thing I'd say is if you couldn't tell that this was going to dominate the budget, then you really shouldn't. I mean, it's just a statement of the obvious. You know, you abolish the, the top rate of tax. Whatever else you do in that budget, that is going to be the defining measure. I personally think what has prompted this U-turn is it was becoming clear it was going to really struggle to get through the House of Commons. You look at the number of Tory MPs who were going public. I mean, the tell yesterday was that Jake Berry reached for the break glass in case of emergency line, basically saying, if you're not going to vote for this, we'll take the whip away. And more people came out after that than had been out previously. You had Maria Caulfield saying, if they want to kick this working class Tory MP out of the party, you know, they can. And so I think that was that is what has driven the U-turn. I think the challenge for this dress is this is she has presented herself as a kind of the ladies not for turning style leader decisive clear remember katie how she started her premiership by saying i'm prepared to do unpopular things to get the economy going as late as last night at the uh conservative home reception she was saying that we have to make tory arguments about taxes i mean she's still doing some unpopular things isn't she Oh, I don't know. She's still doing some unpopular things. But this was this was almost a symbol. She was saying that we and she made this argument quite clearly in the Laura Koonsberg interview that the Fraser was mentioning earlier. That you know, but this is all too much about optics. That you know, this wasn't really an economic measure. This was optics, political optics, something that Gordon Brown had left behind for this reason. And that she was brave enough, unlike previous Tory prime ministers, just to cut the Gordian knot. And I mean, the problem she's got now is she is now going to have to embrace a very different style of leadership, one that doesn't sit quite as easily with her, one where, you know, she is talking to people internally, whether it be Michael Gove or whoever, who might not be in the government, but are important figures in the Conservative Party. The the funny thing is, was that she was saying this last night. I mean, in the floor above us, we're we're, we're recording this in a a, a bedroom in the um, Cube Hotel in here in Birmingham. And she was saying that, making this speech about the difficult decisions, when she would already have decided to do the U-turn. So I think this, her new position now, she has got the rhetoric of somebody who's not returning, while she's actually coming up with a David Cameron-style regular U-turn. Let's do a policy, let's see how it goes down, let's not consult too much before it, and if we can't win the argument, then let's withdraw it. So this is going to really change the notion of a premiership. She simply just has to drop all of that language now. I mean, um, even Boris Johnson was a bit more consistent on these. When he picked a battle, he tended to stick to that battle because even he was a little bit better at working out whether he's likely to win. Fraser, ultimately, you wouldn't normally expect a month or so into someone's premiership to be talking about a reset. But effectively, what uh, is being said here is that she needs to change her style of government. And I wondered, do you think, A, the U-turn was her best or I suppose her least worst option at this point, because clearly she didn't have the political capital to push it through. It was going to be very difficult. And two, do you think there is now, given yesterday, there was lots of talk about who would succeed Liz Truss, quite animated at conference. Does this make her safer, at least in the short term? It makes her safer in the short term, but more vulnerable in the long term. Because yesterday, what was coming into view was a rebellion, a parliamentary rebellion over the 45p tax cut, something that seemed to be gathering strength. So her calculation probably would have been that this is, we are going to lose this rebellion should it take place. And if you're going to abandon your position, probably better to do it now rather than later. So that's, it will be, all will have come from a position of weakness. Now that that prospect of rebellion on that has gone away, as has the policy, 
There'll be something else. I'm not quite sure what. People were still talking a few days ago about um, her forcing her to drop quasi-quartang to shore up the markets. And that's what the test has been. What can she do to re-establish the confidence of the markets? Uh, in other words, she'd have to promise to clip her wings, to rein herself in, to come up with a, a dual premiership with a with a new chancellor, somebody perhaps like Rishi Sunak, not that he would do it, but he remember, he remains the bookmaker's favourite to succeed her. So I don't think we're quite in the Rishi by Christmas territory yet, although there's many wandering around this conference here in Birmingham who would quite like that. I think we are in a, we're a very fast-moving phase of a Tory premiership. She isn't quite handing on the baton to somebody else, to use Boris Johnson's relay race metaphor, but she is handing on the baton from the not returning list trust to the very much returning list trust. This ultimately is fixing a political problem. And look, there's still a political problem for Liz Truss, but does it do anything in terms of the markets? Because Liz Truss has two problems because of the fallout of that not so many budget. And is this going to reassure the markets or not? I think it goes some way towards doing that. This is a nod to the markets that fiscal rectitude matters, that the government isn't just going to go full steam ahead. I think the question now is, if they hadn't done it in the first place, I don't mean the markets would have reacted in the way that they did. I think the markets saw this as almost the ultimate symbolism that these people thought that that, that were totally unbothered about trying to make the sums add up. I think the question now is how much more do you have to do? I don't think we'll really find that out until the Bank of England intervention in the market ends on October the 14th. I suspect that, despite what Kwasi Kwarteng was saying on Radio 4 this morning, that that fiscal statement that is currently scheduled for November 23rd is going to have to be pulled forward. I think the other big question, though, is when Liz Truss stood on the steps of Downing Street coming into office for the first time, she talked about how her policy of tax cuts and reform were going to get the economy going. We've seen here that even the tax cuts are more politically difficult than you might think. Then the now the question is on the reform stuff, which is having forced a retreat here, what do Tory MPs think on other measures that might be coming down the track, kind of controversial supply-side reforms on issues such as planning and immigration. I thought you made a very interesting point to me last night when you said, look at what Kemi Badenoch said at that Taxpayers Alliance IEA drinks, clearly trying to set herself up in the same place as Suella Brabham, the Home Secretary, in saying that she was opposed to a kind of massive relaxation of immigration rules to try and get growth going. I think this is the challenge now is on all these other kind of supply-side measures, which are meant to be the other half of Liz Truss's, to be fair, I think we can sometimes suggest it's kind of one-club golfer stuff, she has always suggested that there are two two parts to this, tax cuts and reform. I think the reform part, lots of which requires parliamentary votes, is got a lot more difficult now because Tory MPs have seen that if you can create enough of a political stink, the Truss government will, will retreat. Fraser, just finally... Is this, I suppose, the, the clash of reality that Liz Truss needed after a shaky start to actually look at her team again, look at how she operates, consult more in the future? Or is this a self-forced error that is the beginning of the end? Well, her problem is that she has committed herself to quite significant tax cuts. The next stage is the spending cuts. Now, what's she going to do if those are unpopular, which they certainly will be? It's not very easy for her to say, actually, I'm not going to proceed with the spending cuts because the markets would go bananas. She has, um, you know, she, she was she was saying yesterday in her mea culpa in the Laura Coonsberg thing that she's, 
you know, she's learned her lesson, she'll do better next time. But there's not going to be a next time for a shock and awe budget like this. The difficult decision she's got now, but they just get worse. Like, what is the real terms um, cut going to be on education? What's the real terms cut going to be on the NHS budget? Those are the questions she's left grappling with now. And they're going to be ones which she will certainly get. But by the way, the, the pay deals... I mean, I think probably the most damaging president this sets is to the public sector pay deals that she's going to be driving through right now. If she's somebody who will cave into enough pressure, then she's going to be given all the pressure in the world when it comes to trying to get inflation-compatible pay deals for workers. So yes, she has saved herself a short-term threat to her leadership, but at the expense of far greater long-term headwinds. So it seems that the Liz Truss book, being currently being written by our colleague James Hale, is uh, in all good bookshops, bookshops from December the 6th, it remains a very fast-moving story, one I think already deserving of a sequel. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.